And welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. As always, it is Nick Cameron, also of the Glacier Musical Podcast, and I am joined by my good friend, the musical Minotaur from Leeds, Duncan Evans. How are we doing today? I'm doing all right. The musical, what? Minotaur? What's a Minotaur? A Minotaur is a Greek, it's a mythological, Greek mythological Oh, Minotaur. We say Minotaur, right? I'm with you. We say Minotaur. Oh, you guys say it wrong then. Okay. Yeah, well, you guys say it wrong. So why am I Minotaur? Because you are strong, powerful, bold, and you put things together that don't go together. Well done. And I've done a few minor tours as a musician. Oh, Um, yeah. All right. So, um, well, how are you doing today, Nick? I am good. Uh, I probably sound awful. We had our last St. Louis Battlehawks game of the XFL, the Extreme Football League. And of course, that is football, not. Is that where they're allowed to like. Fight each other and stuff. If it's no, extreme. no, no okay. it's it, uh, they've just kept the name. There was a, a league run by professional wrestling back in the way back, I mean, 20 over 20 years ago called the XFL, mm-hmm. and they had old school rules. And it was, you know, it was it was a rougher game, not mm-hmm. like I mean, no fighting, nothing like that. No, but it lasted one season, kind of fell apart, and then they brought it back in 2020. COVID hit and they canceled the season. And now they've brought it back a third time and they're actually finishing the season. So it's better than the second season. Let's see if we get to better than the second time they tried it. This is considered the XFL 3.0. It's the third time they've tried it. If they come back next year, they've had a great, they've had the most success they've ever had. So, right, right. Okay. um, St. Louis had an, we had a national football league uh, team and two of them. We lost them over the years. So in the XFL, St. Louis has very, very strong attendance, and we have tripled the attendance of anybody else. So, and it's loud and crazy and fun. Cool. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. So, what are we talking about today then? We are, oh, real quick, wanted to give a, before we get into the meat of the episode, I want to give a shout out to friend of the show, Danny Nichols of Torchlight Parade, Three Fourths Francis, uh, Beck Mork. And God only knows what else, because I can't keep up. He has as many projects as you do. Uh, last night, he did a, a charity concert with Torchlight Parade for St. Baldrick's, a cancer foundation. And well, me and the kid took that in. It was at the Casa Loma Ballroom, a historic venue that doesn't get nearly enough attention and not nearly enough events. And they were he was joined by a Pink Floyd tribute band called Red, White & Floyd, who played the dark side of the moon live version that just came out front to back and then a few more songs so great show want to give a big shout like i said i wanted to give a shout out to danny doing something really cool like that nice yeah hey danny hello hello so if i'm low energy i had a long day yesterday hey so good man so good so what are we talking about today then all right we are talking about the super group a melding of the minds of great bands such as nirvana the Foo Fighters, Led Zeppelin, Queens of the Stone Age, the Eagles of Death Metal, and John Paul Jones and Guy. Oh God, what was her name? Oh, oh. Diamanda Gallus. Diamanda Gallus. So of course that is them, Crooked Vultures. Originally they were going to be called Caligula. However, they discovered that somebody had already taken the name Caligula, so they just went with them, Crooked Vultures, as it is a completely meaningless statement. Yeah, I don't know where that came from, but um, yeah, now, for some reason, I'd never heard this until today. I remember when it came out, I remember being quite interested in it, and I just, for some reason, never got around to listening to it. I think I maybe might have heard one track or something. I don't know, maybe I was put off by the one track. I don't think I was, but um, yeah, I just never checked it out. And it was something that really came and then went, wasn't it? So they, they released the record in late 2009, um, two singles around the same time. It sold quite well, 70,000 units in the US in its first week and debuted at number 12 on the Billboard 200. So that's pretty good. Keep um, in mind, but- that is around the time where streaming was not what it is now in that yeah. in that 70,000 units. That would not include the the streaming numbers, which we have now. So if if you included that... I would say it probably sold closer to a hundred thousand in the first week when you bring in that metric. Yeah, yeah, 
Exactly. Um, and then they did some live stuff. I think they did a tour. They did a or... European tour. There you go. Right. Um, but then it all fell apart. Well, I don't know if that fell apart, but they fell just apart's not the right word. Doing yeah, no, they just went off and started doing their own things. I don't know whether John Paul Jones did much else, but well, certainly it's... Dave Grohl went back to the Foo Fighters and uh, Josh. Ho- it's supposed to be Hummy. That's apparently how you're meant to pronounce it. That's how he pronounces it. Hummy. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not yeah, saying I think that. It, I think it's maybe a German type of pronunciation. No, um, if it were uh, German, wouldn't it be Homey? Maybe, yeah. I think I that poss- possibly is what it sort of originally was. But anyway, so Josh, whatever, Josh, Josh. went off back to the Queens of the Stone Age. And Eagles and of then, Death Metal. And Eagles of Death Metal. And then they never really ever got it back together and they've talked about it um, they did do they did uh, do in 2022 actually yeah they did a couple of shows for when um uh the the taylor hawkins what's he called taylor hawkins that's it when he sadly died um last year they did um a kind of couple of tribute shows um again but apart from that they've never got it back together i think they Tried to start recording a new another album a few years after They, they definitely had a second album We'll call it started, probably yeah. pre-production. But we're, when you talk about the people that are in this band, because it's it's a trio, and then they had an, another another guitar player uh, who also played keyboards on the road. But that's know. just live, yeah. I think yeah, I'm just live. So it's, it's basically a trio. Really, yeah. But yeah. consider the people we're talking about. Josh, um, Josh Home, Hummy, Josh Hummy, yeah. is he is he he was in at the time two of the biggest bands in the world not named Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other dude that was in the band was in Foo Fighters. So, you know, when you have Queens of the Stone Age and Foo Fighters, you're talking about two groups that do world tours, that play big shows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, yeah. they each have, you know, a bunch of employees that they need, that want to get paid, that want to work. You know, they've got band members that want to do their thing. Yeah. Excuse me. Exactly. So I don't think there's any shame in saying, you know, hey, they 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 did one. They tried it. They whether or not it worked is a question we'll discuss later. But Absolutely. It, it they started trickling out information about this in 05, 06, 07. And Josh Hami's wife was even asked about it. And she said, I'm not at liberty to talk about that. But Dave Grohl was the first one to spill the beans. And he said it was going to include Josh Homme and John Paul Jones. And he's going to be playing the drums again. And in 2009 or 2010, I I would say that the vast majority of us of a certain age, like my age, would uh, have killed to have heard Dave Grohl play the drums again. And he did. I want to say he played on one or two albums on Queens of the Stone Age or Eagles of Death yeah, Metal. One of the did. two. Um, not, I don't think Eagles of Death Metal, but definitely Queens of the Stone Age. Um, yeah, the famous one. What's it called? Lullab- Is it Lullabies to Paralyze? I think it's that yeah, one. Yeah, Lullabies to Paralyze. He plays on... Uh, oh, no. Is it Songs for the Deaf? Maybe both, but definitely Songs for the Deaf. I want um, to say he even did like one little mini tour with them. But again, we're talking about the the leader of the Foo Fighters. So, done. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like there's a whole lot of wiggle room for him to just go, "Oh, don't worry about this giant machine that we have that plays stadiums. We can put it on hold for a minute." Yeah, uh, yeah. It was. I'm just looking at was songs for the death, not um, mm. "Lullabies to Paralyze" that uh, Dave Grohl played. On. Well, I have been told many times that, and I'm not a fan of Queens of the Stone Age. No, nothing really for them or against them. I, they're just not my thing. Mm-hmm. But I've been told by many people that that is their that that's their dark side of the moon, as it were. Mm-hmm. That's that's their yeah. their their quintessential record. So yeah, it's it's cool great. that Dave Grohl played on that, and I've seen some live footage of him playing with them as well, and I've seen some live footage of them Crooked Vultures playing. Yeah. But and, and incidentally, I think on the Foo Fighters records, I believe he shares drum duties with Taylor Hawkins. No. Uh, I think I think on the studio recordings he does. Nope. I think. Are you sure? Hundred percent. There was one album, I'm the album Google. before Taylor Hawkins joined the band, so like the second album, when right. their original drummer, and I say original, obviously not original because Dave Grohl was the original drummer, but mm-hmm. the, the first, the first person credited as drummer, he uh, he quit, and from well, the drummer from Sunny Day Real Estate, and Dave finished the album on the drums, but after that, I am. 
Really? Yeah, actually, I'm looking now, and yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't see him credited with drums. Yeah, fine. Okay, fair enough. Well, I think it's important to note at this time that Dave Grohl was not a drummer when he joined Nirvana. He was a guitar okay. player. He right. played guitar. He's been DC. drumming a bit, though, isn't yeah. that right? Oh, he, I mean, he knew how to play drums, but yeah, you know, he did not join Nirvana because Kurt loved his drumming. He lo- he joined guitar. He joined Nirvana because Kurt loved his guitar playing. Right. When he right. Dave Grohl was a guitar player in the the New York hardcore. I'm sorry, the Washington D.C. hardcore scene. Yeah, he was in a band called Scream. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. And then he was called out to to the West Coast, the Pacific Northwest, to by Kurt, and they hung out. They played guitar, and they he ended up becoming the drummer. And not yeah. not to say that Dave Grohl's not an amazing drummer. I absolutely love it. I love his drums more than I love his guitar and his singing. Quite frankly, maybe that's just because I heard it first. I don't know. But, yeah, I have to say, I've I've just never got into the Foo Fighters particularly, I have to say. It's just not not my thing, but there we go. But everything else that Dave Grohl's been involved in, especially the stuff that he drums on, I tend to really like, so there we are. Well, I really like the Foo Fighters' first record where it's just Dave Grohl playing the whole thing. Yeah, actually, what I've heard, is that what uh, Monkey Wrench is from that record? Is that right? Or is that the second one? I like that song, Monkey Wrench, which is one of it's like their first big hit, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Do like, I do like that. Well, I saw um, the Foo Fighters opening up for Mike Watt, and I've I've told this story on the podcast. Oh wow, yeah. Before. I think you probably have, yeah, but still go tell it again. It was uh it was it was an interesting tour. Mike Watt was tour of the famously of the Minutemen and yeah. of Firehose, the punk rock icon and legend who <laughs> in true punk rock status could not sell out a thousand seat tours because <laughs> nobody knew who the right. hell he was but he was touring on his album ball hogger tugboat the opening act was uh, God, it's a good record yeah mm, very good record it uh i would love to get that on vinyl but i don't know if it's ever been pressed he uh yeah. he, the opening acts were hovercraft which was the band led by eddie vetter's wife at the time I oh know, yes still married and eddie vetter played drums in disguise on that tour and right then, yeah this is at the height of Pearl Jam's mega fame, like when they first started, mm-hmm. when they're fighting with Ticketmaster and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so Pearl Jam wasn't touring. And Eddie Vedder is on the Ball Hogger Tugboat record, as is Dave Grohl, as is Mike D of the Beastie Boys, and a thousand other alt-rock icons of the middle 90s. So mm-hmm. it was not announced that who Hovercraft was. Nobody knew who they were. And the the surprise was, and this is back in a time when you could have these kinds of surprises because we didn't have Instagram or Twitter or all that business. But Eddie Vedder played in Hovercraft and then he played guitar. He played second guitar on stage for the whole show right. for Mike Watt. And he sang a couple songs with Mike Watt. Yeah. So this is the <clears> only <throat> time that anybody could see Eddie Vedder on stage in any way. So it was actually announced the day before the show that Eddie Vedder was going to be there. And it nice. sold out from like 300 tickets to sold out immediately. People are scalping for hundreds of dollars. Wow. And I am outside going, my God, I hate all you people. I bought my ticket six months ago. Yeah. I wanted to see if I wanted to see the Foo Fighters. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But Dave comes out yeah. at the beginning when they're ready to play and he goes and everybody cheers and he looks up and he smirks and he goes, we could suck for all you know. Because <laughs> this is six months before their first album even comes out, right? So, and he even they even played some songs that I've never heard again. There was one called um, "Weenie Beanie," I believe. Is it "Weenie Beanie"? Okay. "Weenie Beanie" or "Winnebago"? I forget something like that. But it was a great show, and it was really cool to see them. And I've seen them two or three times since then. And nothing that Foo Fighters has done since that first album has ever really hit for me. I don't know. If I'm just being uh, subconsciously a contrarian, or what? Who knows, man? Who knows? Uh, Weenie Beanie is on the first album of the Foo Fighters, so there you go. It is, is it? on the first album, yeah. And um, <clears throat> that's not the one with Monkey Wrench on. I think that must be the second album. So there you go. Oh. And they did on the um, special Oz tour, Australian tour, I guess, edition bonus disc, they did a cover of Ace Fraley called Ozone. Oh, and there's also one called Winnebago, which is only on the Oz Tour edition. So there you go. So Weenie Beanie was the track that is on the album. Winnebago, not on the album, but you can get it on the Australian Tour edition bonus disc. 
All right. Well, I'm not getting that. So we're going to move. But uh, the song by Ozone, Ozone is uh, a song off of Ace Frehley's Kiss Solo record. The right. main lyrics are, I'm the kind of guy who likes getting high. Okay. Yeah. Well, there it's, you go. It's compl- I mean, it's it's just straightforward. No metaphor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Well, you know, you know, it's all good. So, okay. Well, yeah. So <laughs> them crooked vultures then. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So the reaction was quite good from what I can tell, the critical reception, but it was a bit mixed as well. There, there doesn't seem to be many kind of nine or 10 out of 10 or five star reviews. There's quite a lot of kind of three to four star reviews. Like there's a couple of six out of 10, seven out of 10, another seven if, out of 10. If I could jump in, I have a reason for that. Go on. This is completely my theory. It is a theory that is mine. It is my theory. If anybody knows that reference, hit us up in the comments. It um, it's a super group, and and I, I was explaining this to the kid while we were listening to this today because, of course, my family really needed to talk to me while I was while I was listening to this, as they do every week. So I listened to it twice, but I'm doing my best, people, doing my best. So we're listening to this, and I said, "Do you know who's in this band?" And I explained to her, you know, the people, you know, she's like, I don't know who Eagles of Death Metal are. I forgot Josh Homme was in Queens of the Stone Age. But mm-hmm. Sorry, Josh. But and I was really and I told her I was really excited when I heard about this album existing because I love Dave Grohl's drumming and I love John Paul Jones's bass. But the problem is, is when you have a super group, I think we all have this idea that the music is going to sound like our favorite member of the supergroup's original band. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So this does not sound like Led Zeppelin. This does not sound like Nirvana. This does not sound like Queens of the Stone Age. Mm, I kind of think it does sound more like Queens of the Stone Age than anything else in the world. But yeah, I know what you're saying. But I also don't know Queens of the Stone Age very well, so I could be wrong. I think he's closer to them than anything else. But just probably because you've got Josh Homme writing the lyrics and I presume the vocal melodies. Like, it's all just credited to all of them. But Oh, yeah, that's, that's vocal, definitely going to happen. So it's like his melodies, his lyrics, his voice, so instant, and his guitar playing. So instantly, it, it, it those are the more, let's face it, the more signature elements. Like, you know, um, no disrespect to bass players or drummers, but... I think you can tell someone by their voice more easily than you can tell someone by their drumming style, for example. Unless it's John Bonham. Yeah, but even then, you know. I know. I'm I'm actually, I'm now just being contrarian. I apologize. But let's move back a little bit. It's interesting to note that Jimmy Page said, oh, yeah, I could have been a part of that, too. I just didn't have the time. Thank you, Jimmy Page. No, you, I, you know, I don't believe you. I don't believe you, Jimmy Page. It wouldn't have worked because it just would have been Led Zeppelin, but not then. And it, that, yeah, that's that's not going to work. Basically, you know how awesome it would be to have Led Zeppelin with Dave Grohl, though. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he said at one point when there was lots of talk about a reunion before they actually did reform for the one-off gig. Mm-hmm. I think he said, "Look, I'll do it. You know, if if they want, if they ask me to, then I'll do it." Kind of thing, and I think at one point he there was some jam where John Paul Jones and Led Zeppelin did jam with maybe some others, including maybe the jam with the Foo Fighters. I don't know. Something happened like that. I, sure. I don't know anything about that. I do know that after Robert Plant said he wasn't going to do it, mm-hmm. there were jam sessions with Steven Tyler on vocals. Yeah, that's not going to go well. <laughs> you know I what? Mean, I think I it, it would. I disagree. Yeah, but that that's that's another day. Yeah, look here you go, Taylor Hawkins with and Grohl with John Paul Jones and Jimmy Page performing at Wembley Stadium, London in two thousand and eight. Let's have a look. Yeah, um, the band played. Yeah, they were joined. Foo Fighters were joined in two thousand and eight by Page, John Paul Jones for Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin. So I wonder whether that's. Oh no, probably they'd already recorded it at this point. But I was wondering whether that was where the seeds of this were. So oh, they did ramble on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, but not Dave Grohl playing the drums. Taylor Hawkins playing the drums. Yeah, but he played the drums. No, because on rock and roll, Grohl played the drums and Hawkins sang it. So there you go. Oh well, that's even better. It I'm sorry. Happen. I it did happen. <laughs> no disrespect to Taylor Hawkins, but 
he, the idea of Taylor Hawkins playing the drums with Led Zeppelin does not fill me to the same woohoo. I don't know, man. I didn't think the idea of Grohl drummer. I think he's oh, a he very is. similar he's a drummer, drummer to Dave Grohl, to be but honest. But yeah, Dave Grohl has that that thumpa thumpa that not many people have. And like I John Paul, and like John Bonham, he played a little four piece kit. Yeah. Yeah, at the yeah. beginning, at least John Bonham played a four piece kit. So yeah, you have these yeah. two dudes playing these tiny little kits, making these giant sounds. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that. That's why. Anyway, true. Moving true. on, what yeah. else is there to talk about about this album? I don't. I don't think there's a lot else because basically, this in terms of the history, it just basically says, yeah, they formed in Los Angeles. So I don't know. Perhaps they were probably all living in Los Angeles. I imagine that they probably all live out there uh, or have houses out there. And, you know, maybe they were just meeting in the, the local L.A. rock star bar, which is probably every bar in L.A., and just said, hey, do you want to do it's an Rainbow. Album? Rainbow's the big one. Rainbow Bar and Grill, yeah. Lemmy's former uh, home yep. from home. That was yeah. where That's where John Bonham hung out whenever they were there. Right, there you go. Yeah, so I don't think there was any sort of... Um, particularly interesting stories about them forming. They just did it. It was suddenly a thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think I have much else to say about this. Um, yeah, we've covered the fact that they did a brief reformation. Um, yeah, that's that's it from me, really. So I'm happy to go into the track by track if you are. Yeah, uh, they did talk. Uh, we, we talked about there was the second album coming that never happened. Yeah, they they've talked about reforming and they basically haven't but you know i i don't know if that means no one loves me but neither do i well done so that's track one so this one kicks in with like a groovy steady bluesy rock riff um it reminds me a lot of queens of the stone age it just if someone told me this was queens of the stone age yes i would believe them good vocal melodies catchy that that thing that Queens of the Stone Age do so well, where they're kind of heavy but not heavy, like they're, they're there's an element that is kind of metalish, but it's not that big, huge, all-encompassing, loud, massive guitar metal. It's kind of it's almost like poppy rock with a grit with a metallic grit to it, and that's what's kind of going on here in a way as well. Bluesy, catchy rock. So, yeah, good melodies, some great riffs. I really like the production, actually. There's some interesting stuff going on, like the guitars are very ambient, like they're over in the other, over the other side of a big room, but then the vocals are very, very direct. Um, got a catchy middle eight, and then it goes really big and heavy at the end. Um, um, to be honest, I think it's a bit overlong. It, it feels like the structure's just... It's just got a bit too much going on. It feels a bit like two songs shoved together. Um, I do like it. I think it's a it's a pretty good opener. Sounds a lot like Queens of the Stone Age. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's good. I like it. I I wish you would have left something for me to say, but uh, <laughs> well, this this album, you know, the way you describe album, uh, everything you've said about this song is absolutely correct. It, there there's very little I can add. The best thing I can add on this one is it's a lot like when you had bands like Kiss doing their Dynasty album or their Crazy Nights album where they had this production style. It's it sounds but what the 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 timbre of this album is what those records sound like when they're played live. They they don't have that studio softening. But if they had recorded this in 1979, it would sound almost yacht rocky. It's like very, it's a you know the best way I can describe it would be extreme yacht rock, and mm-hmm. because it's got that it's got that dirt to it. And Josh Homme is a great vocalist. I mean, everybody involved in this is you know top of the class. And this is probably the best song on the album. I'm gonna go ahead and tip my hand a little bit there. Because this right. is this is a very rock song. It is a very good song. And then, oh shoot, I messed up, and I didn't record my amazing pun for Mind Eraser, No Chaser. Oh, there you go. All right. So, <laughs> okay, okay. Seriously, no, I, I, I have nothing. 
There was no pun. Yeah, the, a lot of these titles are going to be difficult to pun on. I think um, I'll work at it, but I, yeah, I'm you work fail. at it. Get, you better get get working in advance while I'm talking. So <laughs> this one was one of the two singles. Um, this has groovy off kilter riffs with some nice bluesy soloing, and then it kicks in quite fast with again Queens of the Stone Age style vocals. Of course, it's the same singer and songwriter. Nice, catchy, poppy, Queens of the Stone Age style chorus. Some bleepy, bloopy effects a bit later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the foreshadow. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty good. I actually started to notice the bass a little bit more here because I suppose on the first one, John Paul Jones isn't doing anything that magical. He's just kind of doubling the main guitar riffs and you kind of think this this sort of is fine, but it could have really been anybody. Um, so we're good to notice those interesting bass elements. Um, and then, it, and then there's a brass band for the outro for some um inexplicable reason. Um, I just want to say as well before we move on that, um, it's worth noting that John Paul Jones wrote a lot of the Led Zeppelin riffs. So I was trying to play who wrote the riff games on this, and I think later on, there's some that I, that really sound like John Paul Jones, especially if you've heard his solo albums as well. Um, I'm not sure at this stage it, they could, it could be a bit of John Paul Jones. It could be Josh Homme. I don't know. It could even be Dave Grohl. Um, but uh, yes, that's me on that track. Yeah, it's, it's it's another good track. The bleepy bloopy. It's like, huh. If there's anything I expected on this album, that probably wasn't it. Mm, mm. There And, and we'll, I'll explain that later as we go on. But, you know, we're... We're quickly moving into, huh, this is not what I expected territory. Mm. And I, I don't know. I mean, what I expected was a really straight ahead hard rock album. And I think if you put anybody besides Josh Homme on, on guitar and vocals, it, it's something that's going to give you a good, strong bite. Like if you got a new fang. Well done. It's a new fang track three. Um, so this is uh not only a single as well, but it's also it won a Grammy Award in let me just have a look, 2011 for best hard rock performance. 2011. I don't know why it was two years after the release. Well, probably for live because they, they give Grammys for live performances so if there was a live performance on on a television show on the tour yeah you get a grammy for that which to me seems stupid because it should be for something you recorded and released but yeah yeah well, i mean exactly. I picture the, the trophy is a record player mm, well exactly exactly well there we go there we go um so, yeah, 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 yeah. So this is now New Fang then. So let me talk about it. Um, Go ahead. This starts with a groovy halftime shuffle dun, 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 type of thing. Bluesy bass riff, prominent, maybe written by John Paul Jones, don't know. And some big power chord guitars. And then very bluesy vocals, um, as Josh Homme often does, uh, stray into blues territory a lot. Um, catchy melodies again, you know, there's strong melodies here. These are well written, there's a pop sensibility to the songwriting here. Some great, uh, what I've called starty, stoppy, stabby bits. You know, you've kind of got <laughs> bang, bang, and then it'll go back into Dillinger Escape Plan kind of stuff. I guess so. Maybe not quite as um, intense and extreme. I, I just mean, yeah. I mean, the rhythm of it. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a key change and a nice, slightly weird and odd bottleneck guitar harmony solo, which I liked. And it keeps building and building. And I like the intensity and the energy. And there's another nice guitar solo at the end, a different one, not a bottleneck one. Um, yeah, so look, I enjoyed this one as well. I, I got to tell you, I wish I could really ha have heard most of these solos because, I mean, I remember the bottleneck solo because how, how do you miss that? I, I, I liked that solo, but I wondered... What are you doing here? Hello. It's nice to meet you. Are you in the wrong side of the store? But it 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 is what it is. And right now, this this album is at this point in time of listening to it, this album is quickly careening off into a very strange place for me because I am 
as we discussed at the beginning, uh, before we got into the track by track, super groups have a problem where you want your you want the album to sound like your favorite member. And rarely do they sound like anything you would expect it to sound like. You know, picture Velvet Revolver. I pictured Guns N' Roses style rock, dirty, you know, Sunset Strip style rock with, with Scott Wheeland singing Vaseline on top of it. Nope, that's not anywhere near what we got. You know, when Rex Brown was in Kill Devil Hill, I expected this amazing, groovy, like thrash band, not remotely what we got. Uh, and, you know, this happens very frequently. And yet, even though it happens every time, we still, I still, we, I should say me, I still expect the same, the same thing. I still expect it to sound like my favorite member. It never does. So basically, we're just dead end friends. Well done. So that's track four. Um, yeah, I'll just say someone, when I, I read a couple of reviews, I skimmed through them a bit when I was uh, researching on this album, and somebody who gave it a three-star review said, look, it's pretty good, but there's just too much going on. And um, and he said, you know, the thing with supergroups is when, when everyone's a big person, a big famous star, they're all they've all got to have the say and there's probably no hierarchy within that so you know if Dave Grohl wants to just do a crazy drum solo then you're going to let him do the crazy drum solo not that there are any crazy drum solos but you know what I mean um and yeah maybe this album does suffer from that a little bit but we'll get we'll get on to that a bit more later um so Dead End Friends this is like fastish kind of surf rock feel again very Queens of the Stone Age some nice distorted bass stuff coming through, some pretty good riffs, but this one for me was not as strong with the melodies and catchiness as the previous tracks. Some nice lead guitar with some interesting tones and some a nice bluesy solo at this one. I think this is where I started to feel that some of the songs were merging together a little bit. And um, the thing is, this this album is 66 minutes long. So... By vinyl standards, that's a double album. Yeah, that's and, uh, that's uh, as long as Metallica's Injustice for All. Right, there you go. So it's hard to sustain really high quality over that period unless you're going to divide it up into different sections that are clearly different and demarcated, which they don't do that. No, they don't. Um, so yeah, but look, it's it's there's nothing wrong with this song, but it's just unnecessary, not as good as the other ones that preceded it. I feel. I think I would agree with that. It is definitely, eh, we're we're getting to the point of the album where yes, very much things are blending, and if you're gonna do a sixty-six minute record, sixty-nine minute record. 66 I, I think 66 you have got to really be able to hold my attention for a long time and they're they're not doing it at this point around this time my kid comes in and says what are you listening to i'm like oh this is the album where duncan and i are doing today and she looks at me and she goes this sounds like red hot chili peppers <laughs> and you know what okay. it kind of did i mean mostly she only knows like latter days red hot chili peppers so yeah, yeah. Her her perspective is skewed, but and that's yeah. my fault. And I take I'll, I'll I'll take you know full blame for that. But yeah, I'm when you're in track three and you're getting this. Uh, I'm sorry, where are we at? Track five. Sorry, we're in track five of thirteen. And no, we're already on track four. Dead end. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were the next one. We're in track, I mean, well, four or five, man, whatever. You know, we're, we're, we're at a problem. We're having a problem at this point because it's, it's blending. It's blending. It's, it's too early. They, they're, yeah, too early. So, uh, we could drink it away, but then we'd just see elephants. Well done. So that is track five. Okay, so this one, I've got a fair bit to say about this one. I'll try and keep it not too long. But, uh, no, go ahead. Okay, well, this one starts with another steady halftime shuffle bluesy feel. Then it kicks in like a faster version 
in straight time of the same riff. It's a bit punkish. And there's loads of repetitions of the riff. This is a really, really long intro. And it's actually, I noticed partway through, it's quite a lot like Led Zeppelin's rock and roll. You've got the kind of da 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 type of thing going on. Um, and then it slows down to a to this catchy, stabby breakdown riff, and then kicks in with the, I guess, the main song. Like at this, we're probably two and a half minutes in now or something. Which is a steady, groovy Led Zeppelin riff. As possibly John Paul Jones wrote this. It feels like a Led Zeppelin riff to me. And the vocals finally kick in. And there's some great bits. There's, some, there's a really nice syncopated riff hook thing with vocals and all the guitars and everything. But then it goes on and on and on into a dreamy kind of Kashmir esque bridge. Then it goes all 60s psychedelic. There you go. I had to get the word in with vocal harmonies and stuff. And then it Mighty goes all prog rock. Yeah, exactly. And I just kind of feel like this one's a bit all over the place. Like, it's great when it goes back to that syncopated hook thing that I think's cool, something to hang on to there. But it's just too much all shoved together, which is kind of what that reviewer said. And then... Yeah, so um, I think I was just saying a bit like the reviewer said, there's a lot going on, a lot shoved together, and it feels a bit too much um yeah so yeah i'm not massively impressed with this even though it's got some great bits it just feels like they needed a producer to come in and say whoa 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 cut that out cut that out cut that out make it into a four minute uh track and by the way it was self-produced them crooked vultures credited as producers yeah how many uh i think we can count on one hand how many spinets we've had on uh self-produced records <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And most of these are self-produced, so okay. So excuse oh my lord, excuse me. I don't know if I hope that wasn't audible. I might edit it out probably. Yeah, it was it was audible, please. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So around this time, I'm talking to the kid about the this album, and I'm like, I don't know what this is. Go get your mom. So my wife comes in and I said, What is this? And she's like I don't know. It's a mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. I I don't know how much better I can put that because there is some great. There is some. There are some great ideas on this record. There are some very good beginnings of things. However, payoff is uh, exceedingly rare. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's exceedingly rare. I just don't think it's as um abundant as i would have hoped for with the the with the class of people it it should have been a hundred percent however know. it's not and i'm not making a pun for the next the next title so good luck okay well this is called scumbag blues so um classy yeah so this starts with it's fastish kind of staccato riffs with a very 60s spring reverb on the guitar, so it's quite kitschy, quite um, stylized, definitely harking back to the 60s. Falsetto vocals, which Josh Homme does really well. Then some vocal harmonies, good catchy stuff. Really started to remind me of Cream or something like that, like that track I Feel Free, um, something like that, very 60s, very psychedelic blues rock. You've got a lead guitar break, and then you've got this... This is a real nod to Led Zeppelin. You've got this trampled underfoot style, funky. I think it's the clave. What's it called? Clavinet, clavinova, whatever. Clavinet. Yeah, there you go. That one that comes in um, with the, the the funky electric piano type of thing, basically, just like you get on trampled underfoot. Dong da, dong da, 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 and it's very similar. Um, and then you've got this heavy psychedelic chorus with an interesting descending chord pattern. And then you've got a bass and drum break at some point. Yeah, you know what? It's pretty good, but I will admit that it's starting to all blend together for me, which isn't what you want, really. That should be the last thing that happens on this record. Yeah. It should be, there should be no blending in. And I feel like a blending of these songs is becoming a failure, just that in and of itself, because... These are people that are better than that. John Paul Jones was part of a a supergroup of his of his own that was able to take a twenty three minute side of music 
and make it one song that never bled, that never blended into each other. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's a good point, actually. That I know Led Zeppelin quite consciously said, apart from in one case, which was T for One and Since I've Been Loving You, they tried to make every track consciously different from every other track. Um, and I think they pretty much succeeded with that. You know, there's no like whole lot of love part two, you know. Um, every they didn't even like make been... Stairway 2 and they could have made yeah. 18 bajillion dollars doing that. Yeah, but somehow it still all sounds like Led Zeppelin. So, yeah, they pulled that off really well. Well, I think it's safe to say that this all sounds like them Crooked Vultures as well. Yeah. Which is... Stone Age, but yeah. Eh, them Queens of the Stone Age. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Them so... them Crooked Queens of the Stone Age Vulture Fighters. Yeah. But okay. not Led Zeppelin. Not really, no. A few little um, hints, nods. but Yeah, nothing... a couple of licks here and there. And I yeah. uh, hope everybody enjoyed the shorter episode last week because we are going to make that time up this week, it seems. Yeah, all right. Because we are only halfway through this record. Yeah. So you might as well get your guns out because we're uh, it's time for some bandoliers. Yeah, I had to Google what that meant, but it's those bullet strap things, yep. isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so this is more fast-ish Queens of the Stone Age style riffs with a 60s slant. It's pretty good, but again, it's getting very samey for me. It goes a bit mariachi style for the chorus. You've got these Mexican uh, nods towards the Mexican sort of style. Um, Yeah, and I love the fact that it's called Bandoliers with uh, a nod to Mexican style. Yeah, Yeah. that's, that's that's not concerning even a little. Well, there you go. And it keeps on with much the same. And you know what? I don't think it's the best track at all. And it gets a bit monotonous. There is a bit which I quite liked a bit later on where there was some quite Zeppelin-y guitar harmony parts, like when Jimmy Page layers up his, you know, the layers like on something like Ramble On. Um, It reminded me of that. So there was a little Led Zeppelin knob. But no, I think this track could have been scrapped, really. It's it's fine, but it's just too samey. Yeah, and it, this is one of those kinds of songs in the world where if you hear it out of context, it's fine. There, there's nothing really wrong with it. There's nothing really right with it, however. But it, it, it's it's bland and inoffensive. However, when you hear it in context, and it sounds really similar to the song that came right before it, and it really doesn't stand out from the song that comes, that comes right after it, yeah, you're just kind of wondering, why did you make this song? Yeah, I know. Are you trying to feed the reptiles? There you go. I don't know if that was any good, but I tried. I don't know if that was a pun, but it 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 was a pun. Okay. All right. Well, track eight, reptiles. So this has a really odd feel, especially at the start. It sounds like it's going into a slow blues shuffle, like the da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. And you've got some bottleneck guitar chords going on. But then it changes to like a 4-4 four, four with a 3 feel. So it's almost like da-dun, 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 da something like that. I don't think that's what it was at all, actually. But it's definitely got a 3 feel um, within 4-4. Four, four. So quite Zeppelin-y, some syn- syncopated riffs with a strange feel. I feel that's John Paul Jones's work because he's really into that. Apparently, um, Black Dog was meant to be in 10-8 time. And then Jimmy Page or someone else said, no, come on, just put it in 4-4. Stop being stupid. We're not yes kind of thing. Um, so John Paul Jones likes that sort of stuff. He's a bit prog rock in the way in his time signatures and stuff and the way he works with those. But it is still catchy. This is better. For me, this this lifted it again. There are some really nice guitar riffs, um, catchy vocal lines, and I found this. Not only good, but I found it refreshing because it was a bit slightly different. I found the syncopation and those interesting Zeppelin riffs slightly different. So this lifted it um, out of the crowd for me and brought my interest back. I wish I could have that sort of uh, optimism at this point, because at this point I am. I don't want to say I've checked out. But I'm checking out because it's not this album is, and you know, and I heard this before years ago, 
And I was hoping that maybe I just got it wrong the first time. Yeah. But it, it's starting to feel like, nope, I didn't get this wrong even a little. Yeah. And, you know, we are now headed towards the back nine of the album, probably would have, which would have normally been the last side of a three-sided record, except for the fact now we have the long songs coming in. Because if there's anything we've needed before, it's these, you know, we got some some biggins coming up. But uh, before we get to that, let's take some time. Let's take a quick timeout with interludes with ludes. Yeah, I mean, interlude with ludes kind of uh, suggests what it sounds like. Um, basically, this is very trippy and spaced out. Um, ludes obviously being a reference to quaaludes. Um so, uh, yes, you've got these catchy falsetto vocals over the top. So it is kind of a proper song, but the background music is completely drenched in reverb. It's almost like all reverb and no actual direct uh, music at all. It's like you're hearing it through from another room. Um, yeah. So I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to point out real quick. Duncan said it's almost a proper song. Yeah, exactly. This is nearly four minutes of nearly a song. Yeah, this is the problem. It's not really an interlude. It's the length of a proper song. They've kind of written a proper song with all the lyrics and verses and whatever over the top, but it just carries on doing the same thing again and again. It just doesn't really go anywhere. So again, I wouldn't have bothered. It's an unnecessary interlude. Uh, a four-minute interlude is not an interlude. Yeah. Uh, we, we are now dealing with the the fallout of a three-sided record one of the things i have said on this on this show probably on every bin it we've ever done on every three-sided record is once you go if you're a 35 minute record can be just the most wonderful thing in the world mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know there's a reason why comedians have a tight 20 you know, there there's a, such a thing as called an attention span. And in Metallica, I think, kind of ruined it because they started putting out these exceedingly long records. But the problem with Metallica, based on everybody else's, they can write 50 songs and fill up all the album with people wanting more because they're different and they're wonderful and they're not samey. They're not blendy. And then you have... This self-indulgent crap. Right. There's just no reason for this. I mean, yeah, that track, I fully agree. Uh... And now, and I mean, and and I, uh, I'll bring it up soon because we're 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 in that we're in the range, and I don't have a pun for this because this the title of this track is twelve words long, so I got nothing. But uh, Warsaw or the Firth, Firth. Colin Firth, give him king. Make Colin Firth the king. Uh, anywho, Warsaw or the first breath you take after you give up. All right. Okay. You gave up on the pun. There we go. That's. Fine. I did. I, I I totally did. I mean, they 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 did this on purpose, so I couldn't pun it. Indeed. Um. So yeah, this starts with a steady to fast. Heavy swing groove type of thing. Um, maybe it stays that way, right? Yeah, I think so. But it's got some bluesy vocals and some bluesy guitar licks. Um, oh, here we go. It goes psychedelic again in the pre-chorus with another odd descending chord sequence. And then the chorus uses similar chords with vocal harmonies. It's good, but again, it's getting a bit too much now. I feel the album is over long, uh, you know, not just based on my intellectual judgment of looking at, oh, it's 60 minutes, but it feels overlong. And we're only on track 10 out of, I think, 14. Um, there's a solo and the band are like speeding up more and more and more and more and more and more, and more as the solo is happening. It's fine, but the solo is like fairly standard garage blues stuff. And then there's this long code a bit where it's, I would describe it as garage prog, like they're doing froggy, jumpy, syncopated riffery, but in a, a garage rock delivery. Um, and to be honest, it gets a bit boring. I, this is the time where I'm out in the front of my house. I'm picking up sticks 
we have a tree that gives us sticks. Thank you very much, tree. So I had to pick them up. And I'm listening to this. And my immediate thought as I'm hearing this song was, am I listening to the right record? <laughs> because this sounds nothing like anything else. It goes on for 18 hours. It It is just, there's, there's nothing about this, I feel, that adds to the experience. It's eight minutes long. Yeah. I, I was wondering if I was listening to Marilyn Manson or somebody similar. I mean, like, did... did all of us, I mean, I'm listening to it on YouTube on my phone through headphones, and I'm wondering, did I bump it? Did yeah. I did I bump it and I bump my 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 Apple music? So it's playing something else. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I looked at it and I went, huh. Huh. Yeah. This is not what I expected. So moving on to another pun-free uh title, because I'm not even touching that stuff. Uh Caligulove. Yeah, okay. The title in itself is a pun, of course, so that'll do. Right, well, this starts with steady to fast bluesy rock riffs, uh, quite 60s blues rock-esque. So, again, we're not in distinctly different territory from anything else on here. But catchy vocals, so I'm liking this a bit more. Some unusual chord sequences, quite like this. Bit psychedelic again. A bit. Sorry, but it is gets kind of epic at one point where you've got these big sort of slightly unusual riffs and it just starts to feel really spacious and large. Um, and I actually like the chorus. It's quite Eagles of Death Metal-y, actually. Um, catchy, short, snappy, succinct, um, with catchy riff underneath. And it kind of makes me wish that the rest of the album was... There was more... There is a lot of that, but it's in amongst all these quite big, lumbering, samey instrumental sections and drawn-out bits that need necessarily be there. Um, so, yeah, and then there's a weird synth outro. We just got, it's like a, It sounds like a different song, and that's just the outro, so there we go. So I don't love, love this, but I liked it more. I felt it was back on track again after the last one. I'm going to quote you for my sum-up, because, okay. uh, and, and I'll foreshadow it now, this All song right. and this album makes me wish there was more. Right. And not in the way they wanted it to be. But, you know, we're we're bleepy bloopy. We're synthy. We're all over the place. I'm confused. I'm confused and angry. I don't know what to do with this. I'm not making that pun. Uh, so, yeah, next track is Gunman. All right. Okay. Sorry, too many mass shootings in the, in this country for me to. Yeah. No. No. Joke. Make a joke about it. Yeah. That's totally fair enough, man. Um. Okay. So yeah, this has a slightly proggy riff. I feel like this is a John Paul Jones riff. I like it. Um. Yeah. Fastish. It's almost like a disco or house groove, but it works the way they've Ooh. got it going. You've got a kind of. <laughs> thing going disco or house group exactly what we all signed up for yeah but you know what i actually think it works Um, and then the it's because it's catchy and direct and they've just gone right let's let's just write a chorus or write a snappy verse and put a cool riff down with a nice beat and that's it let's not go too weird but then in the bridge or chorus i'm not sure what it is there they, they go, no, nah, let's go weird, actually. Yeah, let's go horror movie psychedelic. Um, and that's, that bit's not as good for me, um, although there's some nice melodic lead guitar stuff going on. But when it cracks back into that main riff and main section, which it often does, I really like that. Um, so for me, this is quite good, but I just wish they had done more of the direct and catchy riff stuff and not as much of the noodly stuff. And to be honest, that goes for probably the whole album. Yep. And I mean, and I'm, I'm going to follow up on this more, but we are waist deep into this album is way too long. So. Yeah. Uh, and so the best thing you can do is Follow it up with the final track, which is over seven minutes, because everyone asked for that. Uh, yeah. Spinning in daffodils. I'm not even. I I don't even want to pun it. I'm I'm so uh, yeah, tired I said of it. It'll be hard to pun. Yeah. Oh, I mean it is, and I'm I'm kind of over this record at this point. Yeah. 
Well, so this starts with classical piano, which I think is played by John Paul Jones, and then Most guitar likely. noise creeps in gradually. Yay. Actually, I have to say, this is seven and a half minutes, but this one didn't actually seem to outstay its welcome for me, for whatever reason. I think because it had the intro, which probably went on for a, probably a minute and a half or something. And then there's a funny outro bit as well. So the actual main song bit is probably only like four and a half, five minutes. Um, so, yeah, it kicks in with a nice steady to fast riff, harmony vocals, which reminded me a little bit of Alice in Chains, but also of Queens of the Stone Age. Um, some great catchy bits, some really good hooks, great energy and drive. Um, and then, yeah, it's it's great, great song. And then it all drops out apart from the slide guitar. And then it comes back in with this waltz time psychedelic acoustic thing, which is probably unnecessary, to be honest. And then it all fades I mean out. No. Waltz time. I, I'm sorry. What did you say? A waltz time psychedelic acoustic thing. Do you know what I don't ever need? A waltz time psychedelic acoustic thing. Not just that, but I don't need a bit of music that takes eight qualifiers to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I think that I think you've exactly summed up this record for me. This is a. It feels like this is an album where you've got three genuine musical geniuses these are again some of the the highest selling some of the most you know some of the biggest names some of the most talented names and they just can't write a song that works for me they're doing all these things and i'm just gonna straight on move into my sum up let me start off with if you're about to record a record great i encourage you to do that i encourage you to send me a link so i can listen to it However, the if I see the first thing about your record is it's 60 minutes long, that's a challenge to begin with. A 60-minute-plus album is a challenge to your listener because you have gone several minutes longer than you should, and you have got to have you can't have any low spots. You can't swing low on these. You got to swing high. And, and nail it and this record doesn't do that for me it, it's got some good bits it's got a couple good songs but with each successive song i look at how long i've listened and how much longer i have to go and it, it about track four track five maybe track six i started thinking to myself oh my god how much longer do i have and if I'm at how much longer do I have when I should be at the climax of the record, it doesn't matter how great your final couple songs are. I'm checked out. I'm checked out. So for me, completely been it, unfortunately. Right. Well, yeah. For, so for me, I'm nowhere near as negative as that. I take all your points and I probably agree with most of them to an extent. Um, I think there is a lot of great stuff here. It feels it's definitely overlong. It feels like it needed tidying up. It feels like they should have had a producer in just to neaten and streamline the whole thing. Loads of stuff could have been cut out, which would have a shortened the whole record, which is too long. And B would have made some of the tracks that just go off rambling into nowhere would have streamlined them. So they were much better. And C would have, just deleted entirely, probably two or three songs. Which At least three songs need to be just flat out removed. Yeah. But having said that, I reckon there's probably 30 to 40 minutes of really good stuff here. Um, Let's call it 35, okay? Okay. It's 106. Yeah. Or no, it's, it's, it's not 66. 66. So that's like more than half of it. So I reckon... Okay. Yeah, I reckon there's like just more than half of this is really strong. And yeah, the other half does drag The it problem is, is yes, I would agree with that. 35 minutes of the 106 probably are really strong. Hang on, 66. Damn it. <laughs> okay. Try again. 35 minutes of the hour and six yeah. are really strong. However, the problem is those 35 are not always condensed into one song. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I, the I, problem I, I, becomes a lot of these 35 of the 66 
it's you get this amazing great part and then you get four minutes of uh yeah i i agree with that i agree with that for me this is still a binet um it's not a super high binet it's not a super low binet i think this is i i guess i would give this three stars you know it's a six out of ten um mediocre yeah good i would say it's good but not great although it has a lot of great brilliant really interesting excellent bits in it if you like queens of the stone age you'll probably like it i don't know if he's particularly Foo Fighters, he. I mean, he's not even playing the same instrument as he does in no. Foo Fighters. I, no, it, there it, are it, some no. Zeppelin bits, although I think if you're wanting a Led Zeppelin sound, then you'd probably be disappointed because it doesn't. If you want a Led Zeppelin well. sound, the smartest thing you can do is listen to Slash's solo work. That's as close as you're going to get. There you go. Or just it, stick with Led Zeppelin. You know? I mean, if you wanted Led Zeppelin songs that you don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, yes, it, it, like I said, with supergroups, we all. I think we all take our favorite and we want the out the, the album to sound like that. And it doesn't for me. I regret even suggesting this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That that's me. And I'm, I'm going to shut up because I'm going to just delve into negativity. And I don't want to do that. Is there anything else we need to say about this one? No, I think that is it. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This is the department of metal antiquities. And we listened. So you didn't have to.